Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Edition of All Marine Radio, right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network. Hope you're having a good day wherever you are. I'm gonna have a good day. Actually, I had a great weekend. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Jeff Kenny, Tim Lynch, gonna join me today. Gonna talk about a little bit about uh, Iwo Jima. Kind of be a theme this week, I think. And then. Um, Yeah, I'll tell you about my weekend. I, um... I'm just looking at headlines for the governor of the state of New York. Wow, that guy's in it deep, huh? You know, he, him and his little Emmy Award winning bullshit session every morning. <laughs> he strikes me as a typical politician, right? The longer I talk the more you'll understand, which is not in fact true, but that's what they believe. And they get so full of themselves that they begin doing this shit like the governor of California has done. And the governor of New York has done. Now, did the governor of New York's been feuding with the mayor of New York City? New York City paying him back now. Yeah. Bill de Blasio, who I think is a colossal fool. He's destroying New York City, by the way. Anyway, he said, I don't believe the governor's explanation. Oh, they're both Democrats, too. How about that? Yeah, so that's going on. That kind of caught my eye. But my weekend, um, I, uh, I kind of cleaned my house. 
I was gone for three weeks, right? So I cleaned my house. Colleen, <laughs> Colleen thought, Colleen got a cold, which everybody immediately thinks it's COVID. And because I have my shot, right? I said, well, I mean, she could just hang out here, which she was doing anyway. And um, so the difference between your oldest kid and your youngest kid, the way you treat them, not me so much, but my ex-wife, who's a lovely woman, (laughs) was over here for lunch yesterday. But oh my God, I told Colleen, if your brothers can see the shit your mother bought you because you have a cold, Oh, my God. They would laugh their asses off, right? They got told when they were little guys, like, hey, get your ass to school. There's nothing wrong with you. And there was, and there never was, by the way, just for the record. Um, and they were sick, you know. When we knew they were sick, they stayed home. But other than that, go to school, man. Um, Colleen, not raised that way. No, not raised that way. I don't feel good. Oh, we'll go back to bed, right? But yesterday was an all-time blowout, right? She turns out she has a cold, and, oh, my God, my ex-wife, like, emptied CVS into a bag and brought it over. And uh, <laughs> it was it was hilarious. But anyway, so that's going on. But the weather here in Southern California over the weekend Absolutely spectacular, and it will continue today. Uh, I think we're looking for a high today of 76. I'm not sure what it was yesterday, but it was absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. I'll give you the. I'll give you the the daily forecast. Looking for 77 degrees today. It'll cool off to 70 tomorrow, 65 on Wednesday, 69 on Thursday, 68 on Friday. So, you know, an absolutely gorgeous week in Southern California. Anyway, um, so the weather's beautiful. You know, clean the house. I like my house better when it's clean. I, uh, I did all my yard work that I have to do. I liked, you know... I'm not, I like doing yard work. I think it keeps you normal. I think one of the things that happens when you begin to outsource things like that is you stop being a normal human being. Yeah, and people are like, oh, I don't, why do I need to mow my lawn? Because it, it's, it's thing, there are things that normal human beings do. My lawn's too big. I, I need a riding lawnmower. Then buy one. Go be a normal dude, man. Don't stop mowing your lawn. I know, to all you people that have landscaping services, I know that's a that's a rough blow, but it is what it is. Um, so yeah, I believe you should do your own yard work. It's just part of like not losing touch with reality. How does Michael Jackson become like the whack job that he becomes? How does Elvis become the dude in the cape? He grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, driving a truck. Man, you stop doing things that make you normal, and you stop doing cr- and you start doing crazy things. And then your entourage tells you other crazy shit, and you start doing that. So I did that. Now, one of the things, if you if you listened at all while I was gone, I was having a problem with this new device I bought. It's called an audio interface. 
So the audio interface is much smaller than a mixer that I would take on the road. And so it allows me to um, not have to pack as much stuff. But it was challenging because what you have is you have this audio interface, which is a separate unit, plugs into the laptop. It's digital, right? So it gives you all these options. And then you have to somehow or other sync the software to the hardware, which I wasn't able to do until yesterday. Yesterday was the uh, where the clouds part and the uh, the sun comes out. And uh, and it all worked. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. In fact, I'm staring at the screen right now. And uh, and so the next time I go on the road, it'll be perfect. The, the only thing I have to work out, and I'll bring it up to Jeff Kenny here, is Jeff Kenny's got to get a headset. Because whether he's on his phone or whether he's, and it, it would be best if it was a Bluetooth headset because he could use it either with his phone or he could use it on a laptop computer, which they just got a new one. Um, and that way, whenever he moves his phone and other things happen, it would it doesn't come through the microphone. So anyway, uh, we'll talk about that when he joins me in about 10 minutes, um, along with Tim Lynch will join me as well. So I, I did that. I also, um, the fifth hour of the of the post-traumatic winning presentation. Yeah, how about that? The fifth hour, you heard me right. Um, and the fifth hour is going to have two versions to it. It will have one version um, if you're an individual and you're watching this for yourself. And it'll have a second version if you're a... Um, if, if you're part of an organization, so kind of an organizational leadership part of it. So, and the individual part has been really kind of interesting to put together because what I try to do is just, is just stay loyal to the presentation, right? So, uh, so that's been really easy. And, and, you know, what's interesting is this, you know, there's that great quote, so your life changes when trauma enters your life, right? Um, <laughs> Jeff Kenny, Jeff Kenny calling. 158 and the desert's up to 79 downtown. So, um, yeah. He's in his car. He's got a confused. He's got a confused look on his face, and we've got like nine minutes. So you just have to sit tight. All right. Okay. All right. Let me mute him in case he starts stuttering and doing all kinds of other crazy things. The um. So, in this in this in this fifth hour I put together about how it applies to in individuals. I mean, I don't think we realize the extent of how trauma jacks your life up and that but i that's what i love about the mike tyson quote everybody's got a plan and we're living it until life punches you straight in the face right and once it does that um yeah life changes a little bit right and and let me tell you if you don't evolve to change with it that's when you stay in the, the valley of the shadow of death hoping and groping and we don't 
We don't evolve to change it. The people that teach us can't teach us for shit, right? And we go to talk to them, and we come out fucked up and pissed off, and then we quit going. And so we go deeper into that fucking valley. And that's where the whole post-traumatic winning, fourth path comes, the flat black path that takes you out of the valley. But let me tell you, um, the ask on that is fucking hard, man. It's fucking difficult, right? So here's what the ask is. A deeper understanding of, of trauma. You got to learn about it, right? You have to have more, uh, more emotional courage to not fake it, right? You have to eliminate substance abuse in your life, alcohol and drugs. You got to be more honest with other people. You got to be more disciplined. You got to be more physically fit. You got to, you know, one of the things that fucks people up is financial distress so you got to be more financially fit you have you have to have a deeper understanding of what i call mental fitness and what i call mental fitness is i'll I'll give it a cool guy term right hacks they're hacks in your daily life right that help you get through the day and and be good because i mean you listen to the guys who deal with anger or, or or people that deal with anxiety and you know i mean shit it it can derail their whole day so what do you do in your life to try to, you know, what cheats do you have? And again, I don't like to call it meditation, but I think that's what it is. But I don't buy it 15 minutes. Um, I don't buy it 15 minutes once in the morning, you know, and then you're okay. What I buy is I buy it in little 60-second bites. And maybe the first thing in the morning, maybe maybe it's two or three minutes while you're driving, right? where you clear all the smoke out of your head, you clear the fucking venom out of your head, right? And you, you you know what you have to do today, and you get your, you just calm your brain down, right? And you focus on what's in front of you, okay? Then throughout the day, I say you have to do that in little 60-second snippets, right? You know, you get busy, and shit comes into your head. And again, this is on the backside of trauma. Right. If you're not encumbered by shit, then don't worry about it. But for those of us that are, right, the definition of insanity is to think I'm going to continue to live my life largely the way I have, and everything's going to be good. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I can tell you this from my and, and my, you know, from my own experiences and the experiences of my friends, that ain't happening. It is not fucking happening. You have to have a deeper understanding of mental fitness. So to me, throughout the day, periodically, it's just, again, blowing the smoke and venom out of your brain and getting your brain back to a good place. So you can perform at a higher level as a professional, as a parent, and as somebody else's partner. That makes sense to me. I don't. I, I, I got to develop a different word for it. Meditation doesn't help me. Right? Um, maybe it's just mental fitness. Mental fitness techniques. Right? And it's just 60 seconds of, you don't have to close your eyes, you don't have to chant, you don't have to do any of that bullshit. Just blow the venom and smoke out of your fucking brain and bring it back to a, uh, a, a good place. And then the other part of the ask is, you know, you got to be gentle with yourself when you fuck it up. This shit is not easy. It's not like you sit through the class and then we're in Nordstrom's where it's all brass, chrome, and glass. It's a fucking fist fight in an alley that's dark and the alley has like six Chinese restaurants on, on the front side of it and four bars. That's the alley you're in. 
And so when when you have setbacks, and you will, you have to, you know, you have to you have to be gentle with yourself. You have to know that this shit is hard, and it is. So I kind of I kind of mapped all that out, and I felt good about it. And then and then there's elements that are the same as the organizational piece. Is that you gotta you gotta read about this shit. You gotta study it because it, once you begin to study it, it'll change the way you look at it. And then I'll tell you this: this is something I learned from a seminar, right? And, you know, the impact of shame on trauma. I was abused as a child. I'm ashamed. I don't want to talk about it. There, and, and, and similar, although very different, is the impact of guilt. You know, um, we all have, we all know people that made mistakes. And not mistakes like the enemy got a boat mistakes, right, where... I zigged and he zagged and there was nothing I could do and this happened. That's just it. That's just the way it happened, right? Your head was in the game. You saw this, you did this, and they did this. What what I'm talking about is the guilt that comes from I wasn't paying attention. I knew I should have done this in preparation for this, but I blew it off. Those errors of commission, right, where you willfully, right, did something that you knew, you blew something off, and then something happens. So in life, right, that guilt, I mean, guilt and shame are two huge barriers to people living, you know, good lives. Uh, then this this concept of what is secondary trauma, right? Well, it didn't happen to me, but I can tell you secondary, and I would even say there's a third group inside of what is called the bug splat. That I, that's what I call it. Like an aviation bug splat. When we drop bombs, we uh, there's a thing called the, a bug splat diagram. And the aviators will hand it to you and say, well, this gives you a fair representation of where shit's going to go. It's probably not very accurate, but, I mean, that's that's what the concept was anyway. As we try to co- quantify and limit damage around aerial, the delivery of aerial ordnance. And I think the, the Artie guys do it too. So... What you see is you see this, I mean, it looks like a bug splat that's right on your fucking windshield, right? So here's where it hits, but shit goes everywhere. And so the whole concept of secondary trauma is the responders who respond to that and have a first-person experience, okay, with the event. Well, they're in the bug splat, you know? You know, you go to a hospital. The people at the hospital that are dealing first person with the victims, that's a first person event. Well, but you hear them say, well, I know my trauma is secondary, but wait a minute, what the fuck does that even mean? And I would give you an example of a third layer of trauma, and that is family members and friends that deal with that event, right? The fallout from that event and listening to them talk about it, the fear of somebody committing suicide, right? And you hear their voice cave in. And and this event is no longer, like, it's no longer looming on the horizon. This person is fundamentally a different person because of post-traumatic winning. The, the one I'm thinking of. Yet when you hear Libby talk about her son Luke, her voice, you can hear her voice go. Just by the very thought of something that's not even part of her life anymore. That's how powerful... Those emotions are in that experiences, right? Is that is that tertiary trauma? Is that no? So a mother laying in bed worried about her son 
you know, terrified that her son's going to kill himself? Is that not trauma? And so, and then there's the whole idea of moral injuries. So, and what I hear is all those terms are designed to be inclusive to get people to understand you're inside the bug splat. But when I hear them use, people use them in, in terms of minimizing their own. Well, I know mine wasn't, I, I know I wasn't, you know, I'm not the primary trauma victim, but, and I hear that. And so that's a part of this hour too. And then the talk, uh, the need for infrastructure throughout the course of your day. Um, and then the need to do some kind of self-evaluation on a, on a regular basis. So anyway, I had a good time doing that. So all in all, I mean, I had an awesome weekend. And uh, I don't know I don't know if I'm supposed to call Timmy um, or what the hell's going on. But uh, let me, uh, whoa, when did Will's on the fucking, I expected to see Tim Lynch and I see the, the handsome dashing figure of Will Costantini. So let's, uh, and he's uh, incognito. He's just joined with a, no announcement either. No text. Yeah, I'll be with you guys tomorrow. So go ahead and unmute yourself. Uh, uh-oh. Tim Lynch is calling on his own line. Hey, Timmy. Hello? Hold on. Will's unmuted. How you doing, Will? I'm great. I got the call on Skype, and I couldn't say no. <laughs> Where are you? That's a, that's a new background. No, I'm sitting at my kitchen table. Oh, it's a better background. It's a better background than that horse shit stuff you got going down the basement. It's not the basement. It's the living room. Oh, sorry. Oh, I didn't mean to call your living room horse shit, but... Um, <laughs> Jeff Kenny joins us. He's Lori Kenny's husband. What's going on, Jeffrey? What are you doing? I'm in my. I'm at work. I'm in the parking lot. Where <laughs> I can observe the meth, you know, in all its glory. And uh, Lori's still in Las Vegas, coming home tonight. Really? How's the house hunting going in Las Vegas? Can you give us an appraisal of the Las Vegas housing market? It's a buyer's market, or it's a seller's market, but uh, it's good, though. We're going to have a place, and uh, we're going to do some things with our, my, our legal residents and everything that's going to make it so that for a while I can maintain both households so I can keep this job for another month or two or a couple months. So it's well, good. What uh, What do you mean? Does that mean that you're going did, – Did you? is there a residency requirement for your current occupation? No, it's just that it would be – my first instinct was that maintaining two households would be financially beyond my uh, ken. So I, uh... hey, hey, call on the other, call on the other, the group one. Okay, Roger. Bye. bye. Uh oh. Longer. Okay, hold on. Timmy just interrupted us. Okay. Did you just finish your soliloquy on the the uh, housing market? Yes, I did. How was it? Was it good? Yes, it's sound and fury <laughs> signifying nothing. It's like you know, obviously no one heard it. So, no, I heard it. Okay. 
Now, we have to hang up because Jeff called on the Lori Kenny, Will Costantini line, so that excludes Tim. I didn't call anybody. You called me, Matt. I called you? Yeah. I'm sitting here. And you called me. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm in my own business. Come in my oatmeal. Old man, and there you are. Okay. All right. Hold on. Let me call back on a separate channel. Just make sure you pick up. Will, the background's spectacular. It's breathtaking. Yeah, it's my kitchen window. But mix in a shave. I mean, you're not even up in uh, New York State anymore. I mean, come on. I you... just I just got up. I just finished my PT and my breakfast. I what the... not started my day yet. 1025. All right, hold on. All right, there's Tim Lynch. Yeah, look at that with his camouflage uh, something something on the back of his uh, <laughs> motivated. There's Will Cosentini in his palatial uh, kitchen. And there's Jeffrey Jeffrey Kenny, real estate analyst from uh, Southern Nevada. The um, Timmy, give us the weather update. Whoa, look at that. It's overcast about 64 degrees. Whoa. Um, supposed to be sunny and in the 80s, but uh, we got overcast in 60s. But it, it's, you know, the, the problems are long past. Back to normal. Back to normal. All right, Will, you want to give us the weather update? Uh, yeah, I was in Tampa over the weekend. It was 72 and sunny. And I'm in Kansas City today, and it was the last time I checked, 39 and sunny. Therefore, Tampa trumps Kansas City, as was a result of our most previous Super Bowl. Oh, wow. Well played. Well played. Jeff, you want to give us a, a Southern California weather update? Yeah, it's, it's clear and sunny. It's going to be warm today, probably, probably by high 70s, maybe early, early 80s. Yeah, we have not participated in the polar vortex. We opted out of, we, we opted out of that. So I know you guys shit on California on a regular basis, but we are here for the weather. We know that. All right. I want to talk about uh, Afghanistan, and I want to talk about Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima week, the flag goes up tomorrow, 76 years ago. We celebrate that anniversary, but they're mucking around inland at the base of Suribachi right now, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But I want to talk about your thoughts uh, about Afghanistan. Um, do you see this as a positive thing? Do you see this? We've been cautiously pessimistic about Afghanistan for a couple of years now. Um, uh, what was it? The Secretary of Defense came and said, "Yeah, we're going to hit the pause button on uh, on our on our tro- troop withdrawal." What down to twenty five hundred? You know, because the French and the Germans were saying, "Hey, you just can't do this," um, and so. Your thoughts? Uh, hold on, Jeff has to go. This is an opinion question, so Jeff has to go first. Jeff? Well, it's hard not to be skeptical of the real reasons why we're, you know, the pause button on this thing. Uh, are, do we got a plan to win? <laughs> is there a bigger joke question than that? Uh, you know, I, uh, I think that this guy who's currently the president, who was installed as the president, um, you know, just does the opposite of what the last guy was doing. No matter how you know, much what the last guy did made sense in this situation or that situation. So I think that's kind of what this is. And, uh, I mean, uh, 
I, I just uh, don't see the point anymore, you know. Tim? And I really, and the fact that the French and the Germans want us to stay in there is a good reason to leave. You know what? Uh, I am a French and German hater. I'm particularly anti-Aleman, man. You know, those freeloading assholes enable Russia on the continent, right? I'm, I am so anti-German, it's a joke, right? Um, Tim, your thoughts on uh, hitting the pause button on the exit from Afghanistan? And, and again, you know, I, I, just to comment about what Jeff said, and, and Will, if you have any comments about what Jeff said, feel free. He is your... He is your subordinate, after all. Lo, all these years later, he remains he remains your disloyal subordinate. Um, but he does take an ass whooping like a rented mule, so we love that about Festus. Um, I but, can't remember that. I can't remember any ass whooping. <laughs> I guess that's a blessing. Well, maybe it wasn't an ass whooping, just but being the piss boy would certainly pay back it off. <laughs> the um, I, that developed me as an officer, and un you know here to thwart unknown horizons well you know what that, that that's just that's just a credit to your cockroach like right <laughs> existence <laughs> that which doesn't kill me makes me better but i think jeff's plan is uh, jeff's question is it okay so what's the plan and how does this lead to something better how does this get us to something other than what we see happening which is right this is a straight up money play for the afghans at some point we all will leave unless we want to stay there forever, and then they will sort it out with the Taliban. And it will be what it will be. It will be what they decide, not what the international community decides. And it doesn't matter if it's the Americans that want to lay their vision on top of it or the Germans and the French. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when the money runs out, they will decide what they will be. So I think Jeff's point is absolutely uncharacteristically spot on. And I thought, and I thought it would pile onto it. Will, Tim, any thoughts on reviewing Jeffrey's intellectual work of this morning? I've got to make a few points right off the bat. The first is the French army, after they took that ass whooping in Sarobi, were more were the more proficient army from a guy that's in the field dressed like an Afghan driving around observation. Because those guys would never hassle me when they were not on the road. They were they were the army and the British Army, American Army. If you got too close to them, they would shoot. They did it all the time. The French never did. Number one. Number two, Jeff Rowe, Festus, never had to be the piss boy at IOC because he came in with status because of his excellent work at the EI company. I was the piss boy at that time. If you remember call sign Millstone, I had to take the heat as the junior friggin' uh, captain, not Jeff Rowe. And number three, we go back to the founding of the current state of Afghanistan to the Bonn Agreement, what one population segment was missing? I'll answer my question. The Diobande Pashtun rural population. What it, the Taliban, when they first came, came in response to all the old landed gentry and rich people coming back to claim the lands that the Soviets stole from them. They got their lands back. They cooperated with the various militias. They started uh, uh, perpetrating their, their, their rather peculiar systems of... Uh, of lineage or not leads or, or of gaining money and the Taliban was a response to that we turn around and install Karzai who's directly a Papazai chieftain's son one of those guys that fled the country with his money 
So we never enfranchised the rural Pashtun population. And 20 years later, we cannot, our elites cannot admit that they have failed because we failed and we failed. Afghan is a failed state because of us. We did that. And we're not going to be able to fix it. And not until, as you so eloquently said, the artificial money is extracted and the Afghans start to divvy up what's going to happen to themselves. Not until then will we see peace in that land. Because they're not a bad people. Having spent a considerable amount of time amongst them, I'm telling you, I like Afghans. They're not, well, they could be better. A little peculiar about their children, uh, male children and animals. But if you can ignore that, they're not that bad. You know? I, I, I think. Anyway, that's my two cents. I, I like Afghanistan. I love Afghans. I, I just hate seeing this drag on and on and on. But it's our fault. Got it. Well... Yeah, I mean, it's obvious we're hitting pause uh, because Trump was full speed ahead. So we got to do something anti-Trump. You know, the best thing that we could ever do is get out of there and hand it to the Chinese. And make them suffer, right? Which is what they're afraid of. I have yet to divine our true interest there. And um, the true interest is conducting a punitive campaign against people that perpetrated 9-11. Once that thing's over, you know, we're done. And and Tim sort of hit it on the head. Our elites um, took us to a place, and we didn't know how to go any other way. You know, and it, and it parallels things that happen, you know, just in this country. I think I've said on this radio show three or four times, where do I go to exercise my constitutional rights? I, I don't know. Where do you go? to tell the D.C. Beltway consensus that they're wrong. There was one place to go, and that was, you know, voting for the, the previous president. Um, this thing's a freaking mess. It ain't going to get any better. And you know what else? Nobody outside Washington, D.C. cares one iota. I can't remember the last time someone said the word Afghanistan to me anywhere when I was west of Fairfax County uh, and east of Fallbrook. How about, I can't remember. Is there a northern limit to that? I don't go too far north of here. I'm already in a great <laughs> You go to New York, man. Yeah. No one up there talks about it. And I was just in Tampa, the home of CENTCOM. And SOCOM. Not a mention of it. Nobody cares. Mm-mm. Yep. I, you know what? Again, it's uh, very frustrating uh, when the guys who lead the DOD can't figure this shit out, man. And they can't stand up and say it in public. And now they're preoccupied with rooting out extremism in the military. So thank God they're, they've got something on their plate that's substantial but uh hey before we talk about iwo jima here to me you, you want to, can you read the oath that you sent out what what oath is that buddy uh, didn't you send an oath that uh, the navy had embraced Oh, yeah, yeah, that email I sent you? Oh, my God. Yeah, hold on a second. <laughs> I, I, uh, I will, as a matter of fact, only because it's so appalling. Where the hell's all my sense stuff? We can find that stuff again. Je- just so you know, Jeff is not smiling right now. 
No. This is not a wrestling bitch face. I never <laughs> smile until I'm really amused. I mean, I don't just, you know, some people have kind of like a pleasant look on their face. I always thought I did, but I don't. My, my wife constantly says, get that bitch look <laughs> off your face. Resting bitch face is what I have. Oh my god. Okay. I mean, I it makes it, right it look like makes it's like I could find a turd in a bowl of ice cream. <laughs> yeah, it's just, what are you going to do? Go now listen. So, I think we're all having a, 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 a nice I was having a pleasant weekend. It was like like Jeff was saying, the weather out here was beautiful all weekend. And Timmy has to share this like Saturday morning, I think. Right? Just to just to yeah, dump a turd in a bowl of ice cream. Go ahead, Timmy. Read this. Read this, son of a bitch. Yeah, from from a from a, a Kurt Schlater column. He uh, he he went ahead and, and quoted the new pledge for the Navy, and here it goes: I pledge to advocate for and acknowledge all lived experiences and intersectional identities of every sailor in the Navy. I pledge to engage in ongoing self-reflection, education, and knowledge sharing to better myself and my communities. I pledge to be an example in establishing healthy, inclusive, and team-oriented environments. I pledge to constructively share all experiences and information gained from activities above to inform the development of Navy-wide reforms. And that was actually written on purpose by a sailor. I, 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 I kid you not. They have I was doing. I was doing all that anyways. Yeah. So. Me too. I'm, and you know what's going to happen? They're, they'll take. They'll take that oath, right? And then they'll look around. They're like, "What does that mean?" And they'll be like, "Fuck, I don't know. I don't know what time's chow." That's how much time they'll devote to it, right? Can, can I interject a little reality of, of here course. in a country where you've got to manufacture hate crimes? You know, oh, virtually manufacture them. A college president sitting in his office sees a half dozen white guys with with a camouflage jackets and MAGA hats on storming his office. Is he afraid? Is this a problem for this college or university professor? Does he for a second think that these six individuals are going to cause him a second of inconvenience? The answer, of course, is no. Replace that with six men of color. And they're angry about something, and they're going to wait come a minute, and wait a minute, the wait a minute. I would say in camouflage with red hats. What does the university president think? Yes, yeah. he thinks they're going to fucking abduct him or, or cut it, him into it, small ignore, pieces. Ignore the camouflage. I'm just trying to. I'm, oh. What I'm trying to point out to you is there is no such thing. This white supremacy, this white, all this white stuff. A group of white, of white males has no power in this society whatsoever. A university president would laugh at them. As opposed to people of color, unless they happen to be Oriental, in which case they're kind of de facto white now. But we don't want to talk about that because you know there's the lawsuits. Well, I mean, so we won't talk if that was that. the case to me, why is the National Guard still in D.C.? <laughs> well, this is exactly what I'm trying to trying to describe to you. Is that once again we have reality, or as the Navy would call it, my lived experience of dealing with reality. Right. So, I think you know, they call like, it my truth. Yeah, or, or yeah, or, and you have what the media narrative is. The media narrative was 50 states were under threat from, what the hell, the Boogaloo Boys or something like Yeah. What the hell is that? Oh, come on, are you shitting me? That's, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Everybody knows it's not true, but you have to pretend it's true, just like you've got to pretend COVID's the Black Death. It's, mm -hmm. it's, 
It's bizarre. You've got a COVID infestation which spares homeless people. Homeless people thrive when when in COVID, but everybody else has got to socially distance and lock down unless you're with Gavin Newsom going to the French laundry restaurant. That's different. <laughs> that you know, is different. And, and so it's the reality versus the narrative conflict that just drives me crazy, makes one want to talk about Iwo Jima because that's something you can put your fingers on and understand. Right. Question for Will as a resident New Yorker. Um, uh, the governor of your state, your former state, is uh, he's taking on the chin, man. They're talking about maybe a federal investigation uh, into hiding numbers and things like that. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you've been up there. Yeah, obviously... he fucking killed more people than we lost in Iraq. That's right. <laughs> Think about it. He's another Zarqawi, man. He killed more people than we lost in Iraq. And he did it because he thought that the nursing homes were going to try and screw the state because they weren't going to be able to collect. So he jammed these people up their ass that were sick. And then he lied about it. Right. How about that? If at the end of all of this, at the end of all this, Newsham, Newsham's voted out of office and Cuomo's actually tried. You think Cuomo, the only way Cuomo gets tried is because so many people in the party hate him. Right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to. That's the only way it comes out. And are those people willing to push it to the point uh, that they, you know, it's like taking on the Clintons in the Democratic Party. There's a price to pay for that. Well, uh, De Blasio got in his shit today, right? Yeah. He, he said, but "I don't Blasio, buy." Because De Blasio is at what five percent? Right. Uh, I know. Yeah, popular. So yeah, he's like. The, the the Navy, going back to that one, the Navy ought to take the Commander Ernest Evans pledge. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the enemy? All ahead flank, prepare to engage. Times, Don't worry about the rest of the crowd. Times fucking three, right? Remember, then the third time they're turning the son of a bitch by hand. They're like, what did he yeah. say? He said, come about. Come about what? Yeah. That means that's a nautical steering term, you dope. I know you work down in engineering, but come about to a helmsman means we're turning the fuck around for a third fucking time. Yeah. Where's the enemy? God damn it. All ahead flank. No torpedoes left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had no, I think his five inch was done. Yeah. He was out of ammo. Just small arms. Right. Just small arms and smoke. And those ships, those ships are so fucking thin that the 16-inch rounds that the Japanese go are right shooting through. go right through and don't even detonate. <laughs> what the fuck? Remember, did you ever see the Monty Python movie where no. the the Black Knight has got, like, both legs cut off and yeah. one arm, and he says, it's just a flesh wound. Yeah. That's Ernest frickin' Evans. <laughs> yeah. It's just That's a right. flesh wound. We're coming back at you. And he ate, and he changed his history. I mean, those guys, man. Holy shit. But but was he aware of whatever the pledge was? Yeah, I think he was I think he was agony. I think he was pledge challenged. Yeah. He was pledge challenged. And he actually was technically a man of color, uh getting along masquerading as a white fella. Well, no, nah, he's he was No, they knew. They knew. His yeah, college well, nickname was matter. Chief. I mean, it didn't matter back then is what I'm saying. Could no, you imagine the shit chief. he went through as a Native American at the Naval Academy and all the other places that he went, right? And all he did was persevere through it and become a a, a great leader in the American Navy. Yeah. Right. 
I don't think did. they gave the American Indians shit at the Naval Academy because they had a Tecumseh Dam's memorial and shit. What the oh, hell? Yeah. You know, you're right. Statues, oh. statues obliterate all shitty idiots from existence. Hey, man, you got to put your hat on top of the Tecumseh thing. It's Tecumseh's the luckiest. Lucky I know. Owner. They grease it, though. They grease it. No, not that. No, they don't grease that. They grease it together. Tecumseh is the god of 2.0. 2.0 is passing. So as you go to finals, you throw pennies at him, hoping that he will grant you your 2.0 so that you can pass and graduate. Who gets greased? What statue gets greased? That's Herndon. The Herndon Monument. Sorry. Sorry. Not a... Yeah. Just read a couple books as a kid. I didn't really go there. In case anybody, hey, in, case you, in case you didn't know, they put a watch out there on those pennies. So if little kids, like little like first graders that are living in the lettered apartments, come scampering down there thinking they're going to get that money, doesn't happen, bro. They'll uh, they'll chase, they'll run you off. They're deadly, not stupid. Deadly force authorized. Uh, those, little kids. <laughs> <laughs> those little kids. Hey, that's serious shit, man. If they got a watch out there. I mean, we're going to put them out there. We at least got to allow them. He has a series of tunnels from the civil defense days. When I was a child, there were there were gigantic 55-gallon drums of water and biscuits down there. And these tunnels, because they were supposed to be for evacuation during um, uh, nuclear attacks uh, and whatnot, they extended from the letter departments, which are outside the Naval Academy, underneath the fence, and they went everywhere. And I knew those things like the back of my hand when I was like seven and eight years old. We used to get chased out of them all the time. The legend of those was, you know, it was a way that you could escape and go on liberty in an unauthorized manner. They were known as the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I, I was just a kid. But you definitely could. You could end up in the letter departments. I knew those things. I thought the, you were the letter. The, I thought the letter department was just some kind of veiled reference to the housing in Quantico. Uh, that's uh, same, similarly same, named. Identical. Right? Similarly no, named. No, no, no. So you're drawing right outside gate eight, just by yeah, Timmy. Or, uh, right. Who knew? We're like yeah. deep in Naval Academy shit this morning. Who knew that was going <laughs> to fucking happen? Yeah. Well, well those, those buildings were all built at the same time, so you right next to Charlie's Jr. West Side. Oh, here we built go. off the same plan, so the letter departments in, a, in Annapolis were just like the letter departments in Quantico, identical in every way, shape, and form. All right, this is going to be the first time we talk about Iwo Jima, but we'll talk about it a few times in the early part of the invasion. Uh, we'll start with Jeff, because he hasn't been talking talking because we're talking about the Naval Academy and not Gunny Step kicking his ass in, Mo- in Moscow or Tehran. Um, early part of the, 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 the fight, Jeff, is there any part of that fight that at the, at the start that interests you any more than any other? Well, um, the part that interests me is the uh, decision to send in the 3rd Marine Division as early as they did, because they went in, I think, on D plus 5, and... Uh, the original idea was to hold them a little bit longer, but because it was such massive casualties, I think the first D-Day on Iwo Jima is the bloodiest day in Marine Corps history to this day. And, uh, and we're talking over 500 KIA. And most of them, you know, I mean, from the 4th Marine Division's area, which ran all the way to the south, and, all, and the 5th Marine Division's area that included Mount Suribachi and everything, um, you know, the, the, uh, it, was obviously that, it was obvious that this was going to be you know, way more challenging and horrific than I thought. All right. How about you, Tim? Early part of the campaign, any in, in, anything that that uh, grabs your attention when you reflect on it more than any other thing else? Is Tim frozen or is he dead? 
Yep. Tim looks frozen. He's dead. No, oh, no, part. there he is in his classic pose. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Look, everybody at home doesn't know this, but since we've begun to be able to see each other, this is the best. All right. Now, Tim thinks he's frozen, but he's not. And the rest of us can see him as he's flailing at his computer. All right. Unless we all, the three of us died, and he's still alive, and we're just seeing him from heaven. <laughs> no, he left. How about you, Will? Uh, the early part of that fight, anything? Uh... I I think the thing that that interests me, and I'm not quite fundamental, you know, how much I understand it. So, I think we knew the limitations of um, pre-invasion fires. Um. But the idea that we couldn't target uh, and then lay enough ordnance on there to destroy enough of the gun positions, uh, et cetera. Because if you go to Iwo Jima, I mean, like, it's small. It's just not a big place. Mm -hmm. uh, but our, you know, and maybe it just is the modern lens that we have much better, more detailed ability to do uh photo analysis and things, but their inability to sort of target um, where the guns were or the Japanese ability to camouflage them to sort of render the limited pre-invasion fires. And, and obviously, you know, H.M. Smith wanted more, but the limited pre-invasion fires to be not particularly uh, effective. Because um, when you stand on top of Suribachi and you look down at the beach, um, Anybody down on the beach is doomed. So that's what I would say. Got it. Timmy, how about you? Early part of the fight, uh, thoughts? Early early part of the fight, I'm just amazed the Japanese were able to hold their fire for so long. They, they waited for that first wave, parts of the second and third wave. They waited a good 40, 45 minutes before they started tattooing that place. Everybody waited. I, I think that's amazing because when they, when they had unmasked their their fires. Some of those units were at point blank range. You know that that, that had to be that had to be something to experience. But holy shit, that was discipline and it was impressive. Yeah, to me the thing in the earlier part of the fight is um, is that when and and I'll dovetail off of of something Will said, and that is the Marine Corps does not understand the Japanese posture, right? Kurbayashi is different and i mean you'll hear these guys talk about fighting and never seeing anybody above land un unless they made it to the absolute end of the fight right and then mm -hmm. they saw you know stragglers and guys that yanked out of caves and shit like that and and so to me what you see is you know the marine corps is very much using the same kind of um verbiage uh in their communiques and their discussions about the other islands and on the other islands there were guns dug in, right? And we looked at them. We targeted them. And then um, then the Japanese came out, though, and fought, right? And they, they came out, and, I mean, and they were behind barriers and shit like that and, and whatnot. But they came out above ground, and they fought. This was not to be the case at Iwo Jima, but we don't know that yet. So in the initial phase of it, um, well, I mean, we, we simply don't. We don't understand that yet, right? That that their fire discipline, the way 
their defense is completely underground with that tunnel system um, is, to me, still unknown at this point. You know, yeah, they've got bunkers and things like that, and, and but we still don't we still don't understand that this fight is going to be, you know, between Marines above ground. I mean, this is what's amazing. 40,000 Marines ultimately will be on that island, close to that. 20,000 Japanese and no prisoners taken. I mean, literally, fucking Thunderdome in the Western Pacific is the Battle of Iwo Jima. And as, as, as the battle's engaged, um, the Marine Corps doesn't know that this is going to be the, enti- the fight the entire way through the island. They will be below ground. So that to me is in the initial part of it. That to me is 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 what's interesting about when you see them arrayed and, and stuff like yeah. that, and you see the disconnect. Jeff, any thoughts on anybody? Anything anybody said? Yeah, um, reading Toll's book when he, uh, you know, the one that uh, covers the Iwo Jima thing. As usual, he covers things that you know that most history books don't really get into. But he he quotes the uh, the naval gunfire um, officer the Marine officer in charge of coordinating all that, who's a colonel, says the Japanese, which you guys already said, they weren't on Iwo Jima, they were in Iwo Jima. And although in Peleliu and in some and Saipan to some degree and Guam, they had attempted that, just like you said, Mac, they weren't as, it wasn't as comprehensive. Another thing Kirbyashi was able to do that these other commanders weren't, and that includes uh, Admiral uh, Nagumo from Midway, you know, shame, uh, on the Saipan, they weren't able to get full control over the disparate troops they had. That mm-hmm. Yes, they all wanted to fight and they all wanted to give their lives to the emperor, but no, they resisted, you know, certain things. They want, they wanted that big bonsai. In a way, it's kind of like a mercy killing of yourself, you know, because it's agonizing. It was agonizing Iwo Jima for those guys to be underground like that. High, high temperatures, no water for most of it for, for these guys. And so, you know, but Kirbyashi was able to, in the months preceding the actual landing on Iwo Jima, he was actually able to exert control over, like, the Navy elements that were there. You know, the Rigo Sentai, that's basically Japanese Marines, and also sailors and so forth. He was able to do that. So there's only one bonsai near the end of the uh, Marine involvement there that, that uh, went against the airfield. But they didn't uh, squander, you know, their men during that, during Iwo Jima. And uh, actually, there was almost uh, there's like more than 70,000 Marines on that island, Mac. Uh, and uh, but initially, if that's what you're talking about, right. you're right. Forty thousand guys from the fourth and uh, fifth. And each uh, each regiment was assigned its own battleship, each infantry regiment. So that and then cruisers per per battalion and so forth, you know, initially until they put the reserves in. And the Navy always insisted on, on hey, look, three days you know, bombardment is all going to give you because we might have to use these, uh, you know, these, uh, these pointy ships to fight Japanese. It's always this, you know, uh, shimmera of uh, the, the consequence of another Japanese fleet showing up. And by the time we did Iwo Jima, that wasn't going to happen, but they still would not give up, you know, more of the, um, you know, more of the naval gunfire. Or, on the other hand, you wonder, uh, you know, it, it, everything can always be better. But uh, with the with the what what Kirbyashi is able to do fortification wise, you wonder how maybe that was a you know it wouldn't really made that much difference. You know what I mean? They're in there yeah. so thick. I, I would lean to that. There's nothing else. I would lean to that is that you could have kept doing yeah. that for days, and he had done such a masterful job of that. And I mean, he is really um, when you look at the the all the fighting in the Pacific. I mean, 
he is to me the standout in that he sees it a different way. He's not going to do it. He understands his mission. And honestly, you know, the strategic impact of the casualties that he will inflict, you know, um, and really what's, again, this is kind of bigger picture stuff, but the casualties on Iwo Jima lend themselves to an easy decision to drop the atomic bomb if the rest of the war hadn't got you anywhere close to it, right? I mean, that those casualties, um, wow, as we get closer, this thing's getting worse. And if they do what they did on Iwo Jima, and if they do what, you know, they would do on Okinawa, God help us if we go, you know, onto that mainland. Uh, yeah, a third of the Marines killed in World War II got killed on Iwo Jima. Right. Well, and and they they considered poison gas. They were that afraid of what was going to happen. And it was Marshall that says, no fucking way, we're not using that. And also uh, flooding it with water, which they actually right. were able to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a, when you read, I, uh, I ran across... I don't know, it's probably about an hour-long interview with three different guys. And they had to be in their 80s, and they were survivors of Iwo Jima. And they'd never, ever talked about it because they were ashamed that they survived, right? And they went, Oh, Japanese. Japanese. Survived. Oh, my God. Ah. And you should see this thing. I should find it. But it's, it might, in fact, it might be on the website. Um, and it's just fascinating. And one guy talks about exactly, that's the first time I heard it. He says, we were, you know, we're dying for water um, uh, down there. We had guys who'd been wounded, and we would hand them a hand grenade. We don't have enough food and water. You've got to kill yourself. And they would, they would, they would come out, and they would kill themselves, or they'd kill them, go to a part of the cave that wasn't occupied and kill themselves. And they just describe the awful shit going on down there, right? And then, um, and then they describe the Marines pumping salt water into the caves and then right. dumping fuel on top of the salt water and then lighting the fucking fuel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it's fucking. Nasty, oh my God. It's like, you know, it's like Greek Roman shit. Right. And we'll fucking burn your ass out of there. And, uh, which, you know, it reminds me of, I don't know why, but, um, the firefight in which, I think it was Captain Ganna was killed out in Huseba. I mean, it's this Marines ultimately haul fuel up to the top floor of this, of this residence and they dump fuel down the stairs and light it on fire um, as part of that firefight. I mean, so kind of something similar, um, yeah. you know, uh, and a way to end it. But yeah, these guys now they're floating and they're on fire, and that's how they ultimately, you know, float out of the, you know, out of that thing. But crazy. Um, Will, any other comments on the early part of Iwo Jima? No. Right. Tim, got an observation. I I watched uh, Flag of Our Fathers Saturday night, and then Letters from Iwo wow. last night. So I got to watch both those uh, Clint Eastwood movies about Iwo very close in. In Letters from Iwo, it portrays a, a Japanese admiral who's sent off the island by Kurobayachi soon before the invasion. And in reality, that wasn't an admiral. It was a captain. And that captain spoke English. He had actually been in America and had spent time in Mexico City as a spy for the, for the uh, Japanese. But uh, he survived the war, became a Shinto priest, and would go back to, uh, to Iwo Jima to recover those things. And when my dad was... Uh, the three at uh, at uh, in Okinawa, at, I, I think it was the MEF or the division, whatever, 
he had interacted with this guy. They had dinner, and uh, and my my stepmom met him, and he was an interesting fella. But he spent virtually the rest of his life combing those caves looking for remains, and it was him that found those letters that the letters wow. from Iwo was based on. He was the guy that found those, and it was uh-huh. a big deal in Japan because it changed the perception of survivors from shunned people to heroes. That wow. uh, when it was released in Japan, those letters when they were found. And the story these guys tell in, the, in this video is awful. I mean, living through that and coming home and you're humiliated. Like, yeah. are you shitting me? Like, um, here's an email. Evo question. Per, per your guys' education and experience, the education part, obviously talking to Will, Mount Suribachi's tremendous, was Mount Suribachi a tremendous amount of resistance while taking it? Or was it conflicting on how tough it was? I've read both accounts. I'm not disrespecting the take of Serbachi. Just getting your guys' take on that. Thanks. Jeff? Yeah, I don't think uh, Mount Serbachi was the problem on Iwo Jima. I mean, it wasn't as, uh, it was fortified in that, you know, they had, um, they had, they had uh, heavy guns and stuff up there, but uh, it took that thing pretty quick. The real problem is the, uh, the, the busted up ground and uh, the, the approaches to the three airfields. And uh, that's where, I mean, I'm not saying it was Suribachi horrific like the rest of it, but, uh, you know, they, they, they went up there pretty quick. And again, the, the Japanese are in Iwo Jima more than on Iwo Jima. So, you know, uh, that thing was covered. Uh, no one became more expert than the Japanese, particularly after the Mariana, during and after the Marianas campaign with the reserve, reverse slope fires and so forth, which, uh, you know, was a factor. I mean, it's more of a factor in Okinawa, that stuff. But still, you know, that was, uh, you know, that, that, to me, that was the uh, the, the Suribachi thing was, was uh, it wasn't a key piece of ground, except that it was the highest ground in Iwo Jima. You know, and by that time, uh, with the new weapon systems and everything, the high ground is, is always important. But, uh, you know, it, it's not the, uh, you know, it wasn't the, I don't think it was the acme of fortifications for the Japanese in Iwo Jima. Got it. Well. Yeah, it's interesting. You can see how uh, the marine psychology would be affected because when you go to Iwo Jima and you cross the beach and you head up that mountain, it's like the only mountain. And then you're on the top of it and you can see the whole island. You put the flag up and it's like, okay, we're done. No, actually, you haven't even started. But when you look at the rest of the island, it looks like from Suribachi, it doesn't look like a bowling alley, but it doesn't look all that bad. And then just because of the way it was engineered and there's a lot more terrain than you can actually tell from standing on top of that thing. So my understanding of the history is that it was not um, as difficult as a challenge as perhaps they thought it would be or as the northern two-thirds was. But you can see if you get to the top of that thing, Hey, game over. Uh, and now all of a sudden, no, you just got out of the first inning. And you yeah. can see the psychology that it would have affected people there. Barely out of the first inning. Timmy, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the problem with Suribachi from the Japanese perspective was they lost most of what they had in there because there was no reverse slips on Suribachi. You could get at it pretty much 360 degrees with naval gunfire. And as I walked around the base of that yep. thing and looked, 
there was an awful lot of strong fortified positions that look what were obviously taken out by uh, uh, but what looks like naval rifle fire because it's right. you know. So I, I think that the defenders that were in Suribachi got killed relatively quickly because they didn't have the reverse slopes to hide in like the rest of those guys did once they get on the uh, uh, right. across the plane and into the broken ground there. That's why Suribachi fell so quickly. Yeah. That, it, that from what I from what I could tell from going and looking around the place because I never read much about it other than it fell quickly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 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 I, I'm the only one of us that hasn't fucking gone. No, I haven't been there either. Oh, thank God. Um, the, I was going to go, but when I heard you hadn't been there yet, I, I respect you. Know what? I respect. <laughs> like I, I told, like I told, like I told you last night, I love Jeff Price like a man is- loves a woman, man. Um, <laughs> the, um, no, I think, again, it's, um, you know the the buildup was you know again and and the reason the fifth marine division uh, gets composed of veterans from throughout the other divisions it gets built the way it gets built because it's it's a sign Mount Suribachi so you know the expectation is, is of this you know this fortified you know this fortified mountain and and it is but the problem is exactly what you know Timmy said there is no reverse slope. Anything and you know those battleships are how far or how far they have to be just outside of arming range of the shell, right? Which is what a thousand meters. I mean, they're cruising. They're like big great white sharks, like and you know, and they got those big, you know, those big eye binoculars, you know, back of the day, and they were that's what that was a, the most uh, you know the most formidable technology, and they're staring right at any opening in that mountain. Hey, I just saw a bayonet move in that hole at, you know, 61 Bravo minus two. Oh, shit. Right? Fire up all nine guns. Right? And they'd let it rip. And so, and and they they circled that thing, you know, at different times. And so, I I think, though, in in the Marine Corps perspective, it was going to be this dramatic, right, um, climatic fight up that mountain and it simply just wasn't to be, and it fell. It falls rather quickly. Not that there wasn't a lot of fighting, especially around the base of the mountain, which was the hardest for naval guns to get to. Um, Aslone got it. Yeah. Well, he gets yeah. on the beach, right? And uh, yeah. you know, if you listen to that interview uh, that I did with uh, what uh, he's a PFC. His name's uh, Humphrey. He's Jeff. Hum- I don't know if you guys know Jess Humphrey. Uh, Je- Jeff- well, there's a there is a lieutenant Humphrey who who uh, did the uh, remember he did the beginning of the uh, yeah we had him at OC yeah he was at AW he came and talked to us at AWS yeah his brother was at AWS when we were at okay. IOC that's that's his brother his dad's a lieutenant on yes, EWO that's, that's yeah, yeah yeah his uncle's a PFC on EWO right and it's one of my favorite interviews and he talks about meeting John Bazalone at the slop shoot in Hawaii, right? He said, so when we're not training, we go down the slop shoot and we drink beer for, you know, for five cents a can. And uh, he said, he's a, he's a great guy. He said, but I think that that, all the war bond stuff and, and took its toll on him. And he, th- the, he thought, you know, that he had to do the same thing on Iwo, you know, um, that he did. And he said, I think that, I mean, he said, look, man, the only thing being the first, it's a great part of the interview. Um, I said, what was the best advice you ever got on Ewo? 
he said my he said my squad leader don't be the first guy out of the hole <laughs> right and uh and he said look he said you know they raise you that you're 10 feet tall and you can lick anything the bottom line is you die just like everybody else he said you got to be smart you know you got you got to respect what the enemy does and uh, he said you know this stuff's not easy it's hard it's hard he walks back to the BAS holding his intestines Unbelievable. Right. And, you know, and he passes out for a time and then he wakes up and he tells this story. Right. And it's one of my it's one of my favorite interviews I've ever I've ever done simply because of, you know, of, of a kind of guy he, who, who he is. And uh, it's just it's just awesome stuff. All right, boys. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to add before before I let you go? Uh, I guess the, tomorrow or the next day we'll be listening to that tank interview. That that friggin' tank traffic that you have is f- awesome. I've, it sends chills down my spine. What Timmy's yeah. talking about is there's a dude who I went to a party with and met in San Clemente when I'm a second lieutenant. Yeah, this is a weird. This is a great story. And I'm in North Dakota, and he comes to see me. Here's I'm doing a radio show. He comes to see me, and I met him one time at a party in San Clemente. He was a friend of one of my lieutenant buddies named Jerry Mowry. We used to call him the Mao Man. And uh, the Mao Man was a marginal <laughs> lieutenant, but he was a great guy, right? And this guy was the Mao Man's buddy. And so he gives me these cassettes, and I don't know, and it's a miracle. It's, it's tank, company tank traffic, radio traffic, recorded by somebody off the coast that survives. Oh, I heard of this. Right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's awesome. And they're talking on a on a company tack net ashore on Iwo Jima. Tom, Tom, this is this is Tim. Over. We're the O three hundreds. We're up here by the airfield. We can't get through. Blah blah. And you're just like, holy shit, man. And then you can hear It's crazy. <laughs> I I mean, I'll tell you the other audio that that if you look around on the the All Marine Radio website is. There's reporters that do play-by-play. One dude, right? They're going by battleships in route to the uh, in route to the beach, and you hear this. <laughs> well, we're closing on the line of departure. That's the line that once you cross, you don't come home. I hope my wife and kids are doing well, right? And this guy's doing it live on the fucking air. Yeah, that goes, was cool. And, and that was just, cool yeah, just, as Tim said, though, it gives you a sense of. Of going ashore that day, and 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 some people's, some people's, <laughs> some people's thoughts, uh, if you could imagine. All right, boys. Uh, any uh, Timmy? Now the weather's nice. You got any big plans for today? Uh, no, no, no big plans. I think about three or four days. My buddy Michael Yon's going to show up, and we're going to go look around the border some, so you can do some reporting. He's interested in that kind of thing. Got it. I'm imagine. I imagine traffic's going to pick up now that the freeze is done. <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah, the freeze, <laughs> the freeze will always keep people out. Will, how about you? Back home after a long weekend, and uh, what was the training highlight in Tampa? In your two-person uh, we went to the racetrack on Friday. <laughs> which so which I went, which I went track? And visited a uh, guy who was uh, first sergeant, and first LAR, retired sergeant major. Just a great, great, great man, and uh, he retired down to Tampa, and uh, he got into uh, horse racing. Oh, no. Jesus. Then, uh, so we spent a day on horse racing and there's the hell. There's nothing better than having a two dollar bet 
and yelling at some dumb animal as it comes down the stretch <laughs> to bring you in 240 on a $2 bet or something. It was, uh, we had a blast. Between poker, between poker and horses, what's next, Will? You're, yeah, what's next? You'll be, you'll be watching the dog. You'll be up in Newport watching High the Highline. Yeah. yeah. That Cuban guys. Highline. Yeah. So, I'll bet was, on anything. It, it, it wasn't, uh, weather-wise, it wasn't a great day. It was probably, it was overcast and it, it rained a little bit. And it was probably down in the 60s. But I'm like, hey, it's 60 degrees warmer than where I just came from. And uh, so it was good. Yeah. Will's going to be a 21st century Arnold Rothstein before you know it. <laughs> <laughs> how about you jeff any big plans today go back to work well i'm at work now but i gotta um i gotta go see my mom on friday because coming up on her 86th birthday and as you know i go see my mom you know for her birthday and she lives in uh, in florida also she lives over by uh oh uh fort meyer so <clears throat> i'm gonna do that friday but that's the day according to my little card i'm supposed to get my second um uh oh! Vaccine shot. So I'm gonna try and get on there early and get it, and um, you know, kind of, and uh, and have them give it to me. So I'm, I'm all I'm all vaxxed up, you know, by the time I go out there. Yeah, fuck that mask, man. I'm out. Right. Hey, you don't have to worry about all that in Florida. They're not doing it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. If if you want to do some interesting reading, just uh, uh, just do just do a new search for herd immunity and look at all the different articles from all the different publications that are now trying to reconcile, you know, according to the wall street journal, a 77% drop in cases across the country here in Southern California, 50 cent, 50%, over 50% drop in, in orange in Los Angeles counties of cases and people are t looking for explanations and vaccinations don't get you there. So what's why? And, and the weather, right? The weather, ha I mean, for most of the country, most of the country, because of the cold, is still doing the same thing we did during the holidays. So what the you fuck's happening? Nostradamuses? You wanted a Nostradamus uh -oh. guess? I'm afraid, but of yes. course. They've, they stopped running the amplification cycle on the PCR test above 35. They bought it back down to 25, which is the outer limits of amplification for a legitimate PCR test. That's what's going on. That's going to drop your positive rates down to probably close to what they, in reality, always were, which were not that bad. Just a, just a, an opinion. Got it. Got it. All right, boys. I appreciate your time this morning. Will, thanks for showing yeah. up. Yeah, man. Yeah. I got the call. What can I do? Hang up. That's right. <laughs> when, it's like Batman. You, you know, all this gambling and getting up at 10 o'clock in the morning, I think we might have to run an intervention over that way. Sometime I didn't get up at up. 10. I got up at 8. <laughs> Don't ruin a good story, Will. Come on. There's no reason to introduce facts. Like, uh, Mac, Mac, what Mac hell? Do is when you call us, you should say, Devil Dog, Devil Dog. <laughs> and we all, we all, you know, we all check in. We all report it. That's the assume. We, we should go stage an intervention even if he doesn't need one. That'd be funnier than shit. Wait, yeah, wait till like the best July. One. You oh, don't want to come America. to Kansas and can't do that shit anymore. Yeah, it, yeah, it has to be weather appropriate. No, not even <laughs> July. It needs to be what May, because July is yeah, a little too June. human. Yeah, May, June. Yeah, May June, July, yeah. you're on the service of the sun here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're here to help you. <laughs> as long as it doesn't take too much. Have yeah. you guys ever been a part of an intervention? No. Yes. Oh, how'd it go? It was a failure. <laughs> Were you the subject of it, or were you part no, of the... No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was a reluctant participant. And uh, and I didn't really have 
I didn't think we should be doing it, but I went, my mother made me do it. So I had to obey. And, uh, so me and my dad just sat there looking at each other, making wry faces and shit, you know, but anyway, all is well. It ends well. It turns out the guy, uh, you know, he, he had a problem, but that wasn't it. It's a different problem. Yeah. All right. right. I've always wanted to be part of one. They look, you know, if you're a fan of confrontation, the intervention looks like the place to be, in my opinion. But I've never been. I've always wanted to be a part of one, but I've never been. I really want to be a part of one for somebody I really don't fucking like. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I can't, I don't want to say who it was. Come on. Let me put it this way. You don't know him. Mel Will might know him. Uh oh. Um, and Timmy might know him. Uh oh. You know, it's my young it's my youngest brother. And he um <laughs> he he was bipolar and this is when oh. they were just finding out he's bipolar, but they just thought he was drinking too much. But then he wasn't really, you know. So I'm, that's why me and my dad were like uh you know, kinda like perplexed about it. So I was talking to him and he starts becoming bipolar and I end up throwing him over my dining room table because he was rude, you know? And that's how brothers are, you know. <laughs> And uh, that then that turned into, you know, we just eventually did a intervention for him. It, it, it um, that wasn't really his problem, but it did identify the fact that he had a problem and he got medication for it, and he's good to go now. So, Paul, if you're ever listening, which I don't think he is, sorry I dined you out in front of all 50 people who listen to this thing. And uh, there's way know, more than 50. There is people that even listen to the high frequency uh, and the uh, AM shit radio thing. I know. Oh, just, that you guys tough. ever hear Ken Matthews? He, he's got like a huge following in Pennsylvania. And he always says to the 13 people who are listening to the radio right now, but he's got like, you know, millions, you know, so I know I'm being very similar, person. very similar to us. I remember after you, after you dealt with your brother, Paul, the two of you guys were like best friends when I came over. Yeah. You remember. yeah. See, that's how it works. See, that's what you happens after an intervention. Yeah, little chin music, and then your friends. I had a friend of mine, yeah. like, who told his brother his brother was ruining everybody's life by, you know, by you know he got on got on drugs. They're both Marines. Got on drugs. Uh, brother in O three thirty one. The other guy, an officer, and he's fucking up the whole family, right? Financially, he's fucking his parents up, and all the other craziness that happens when people start getting involved in drugs and shit, right? Yeah. So the, the guy, the, the fuck, the fucking fucking it up, dude, he calls his brother and says, hey, you know, I need money. If, if I can't get help, I'm just going to kill myself. What do you think his brother says? Do it. Yeah. Boom. Fucking do no it. Way. Man up and fucking do the family a favor and kill, kill yourself. Right. <laughs> and he's telling me this story. And I'm like, holy shit, man. He goes, fuck, man, I'd had enough of his bullshit, and he's destroying my mom and dad emotionally and financially. So fuck, man. You think your suicide's going to be worse than what the fuck you're doing to us in real life? It's not. Mm. And then the dude turns his whole life around. So, see, that's why I'm a fan of the internet. That's why I'm a fan of the intervention. I want to be a part of it. So if you're doing an intervention, I'm t- I'm good in uh, I'm good in the labor room. Just so everybody knows. So if you need a labor coach and your husband or significant others, you don't be afraid to call me. All right. Oh, uh, how many kids have you delivered? Four. Wow. Oh, I didn't really deliver them, Timmy. I I assisted the doctor in delivering them. Delivered to assisted with my oldest daughter. 
Yeah. Basically delivered my oldest daughter. But I delivered two, one in the middle of a snowstorm and the other one in the well deck of the USS Guam. What? It was wow. uh, yeah, it was Somebody when we were Well, you're a, you're a doctor for God. You're a doctor for God's sakes. No, no. There was like five kids born in that damn well deck. When we got the PLO out of them, it was like it was like when they, they dumped a the maternity ward on us. It was unbelievable. <laughs> There's a shit ton of them. It was like everybody going under at any minute. Unbelievable. Oh yeah. Well, we had a and and the guy that led our our surgical team was a was an OBGYN. He hated it being an OBGYN. Hated it. They never wanted to see a baby again in his life. That's why he let me deliver mine because he's like. You know what you're doing. Let's go ahead. Just get me up if there's any weird shit happens. Okay. The Guam was a shithole by the time. I mean, I was never on that thing except to visit. But it was like the our our head ship for a couple of muse I was on. And uh, give up and masturbate. That's what they call them. Uh, dude, you know what it smelled like? It, it smelled like it smelled like when your ship goes across. Remember when you go across the uh, the equipment yeah. and you got to do the King Neptune's thing? Yeah. That's what the Guam smelled like all the time. The yeah, so it smelled like you just had a crossing the line ceremony. The we would go dead in the fucking time. water, man. We go dead in yeah. water. In '96, it was our our big deck. In '96, oh, '83, and it was your I'm big on. deck in '83. <laughs> I was in '80s. '83, and I'm bitching. <laughs> <laughs> Give oh, up and masturbate. Yeah. <laughs> the Guam going under any the King Neptune ceremony. I believe that's called the shellback ceremony. Shellback. Yeah. There you go. You're a Navy and I dude. Oh, I'm I'm one. Come on, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, I'm one. Will, are you are you a showback or a fucking wog? He's a wog. No, no, no. I'm a golden. What? I went. I crossed the line at the zero meridian, the Greenwich line. I'm a golden. <laughs> oh yeah. Where the fuck is that? It's right there. You know, below the hump of West Africa. Oh no shit! Yeah, that's a a golden, I mean, it's a golden shellback. That doesn't mean it. fucking shit, though. Okay. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't mean shit. Okay. That I mean, I'll tell you what. Me. That well, was a more f- than that fucking Navy pledge we talked about. <laughs> I think the other. I think there's <laughs> not as golden, much as I'm not sure what occurs on the other side of the Earth. International Dateline and uh, the Equator, and then you got Greenwich and the Equator. Are the two big ones, and we yeah. went right through it. No, oh wow! I mine was off Singapore. You didn't know. You didn't know. Yeah, shit. I was off Singapore. <laughs> too. Yeah. One thing I did do though. Um, that was a fun day though, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. that, talk about a good yeah. time. Fuck, that was hilarious shit. Yeah, I, uh, my exo kicked my ass. I, <laughs> I took a beating that day. Did you? But come yeah. on, you had a good time. What else were you gonna do? Go to Chow Four times? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not bitching. It was okay. Oh really? Yeah. I had a good time. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you what. And and the guy who was this is back in the day. I don't want to say anything sexist, but the guy who dressed up and won the Miss Aphrodite contest, and uh, was wearing a red dress and a wig, and I mean, she's a beautiful girl. Right, yeah, but it, but it was weird, a dude, and I remember I had my summons in my mouth, but I didn't know that her name was Af- Aphrodite. So I kissed the royal baby, right, and I crawled over to Neptune, and then and like there was like sixty Marines on the ship, right, out of six thousand people, and, and they're like, "Who's that?" And they pointed Aphrodite, and I didn't know who the fuck Aphrodite was, and I said, "That's Neptune's bitch," right? They're like, <laughs> they're like what? I said, that's Neptune's bitch. And they're like, throw him in the stock, 
right? So they put me in this fucking stock with my head through and my hands through that wooden shit. Yeah. And they're injecting Tabasco into my eyes, right? And I'm squinting. And I, but I don't know who the fuck she is, right? I don't know my, like, my underwater mythology very well. Right. And, and the chaplain comes over and says, Mac, that's Aphrodite. I'm like, that's Aphrodite, that beautiful woman over there. That's Aphrodite. <laughs> and so then, hey, kissing the royal baby back in the day when the Navy had ginormous fat people in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This dude, yeah. well, he was a fire marshal on the ship. It was the biggest set of red coveralls I've ever seen in my life, man. This guy looked like this red tidal wave coming down a passageway. He was a big man, and he's sitting there with his bucket of shit underneath his gut, right? His gut has not seen sunlight since Hitler was a corporal, and he reaches he reaches into the bucket, and he swirls his shit over his hairy gut that's extended over his belt and then down between his legs, right? And I come up with my summons, and I hesitate, as any sane human being would do, and he grabs me by the ear, Kiss the royal baby, Lieutenant. <laughs> and he just oh, yeah. stuffs my face into his fat gut. And I just remember going, good God, I love the military. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and that was uh and that was it. That was that that was the ceremony. And again, the I US the USS Ranger, right? You know, a thousand foot big deck carrier. Um the top gun of the Pacific fleet. It's got the Jolly Roger flying at it, right? We're not underway. Wow. Every ship does. Yeah. Every ship I mean, it was, Roger. it was awesome. It was awesome. It was a they fun. They don't do it now, though, do they? No. no. Awesome. They don't do it. No, you just get a certificate and a handshake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it used to be that such a big deal. Shit. That, was a, that was such a big deal. Because, you know, shit, you're, you're in the middle of a three-week transit. What the hell else you got to look forward to? Right? Nothing. Nothing, and yeah. you'll see you'll see scenes from World War II. Those guys doing it, right? Oh, and yeah. that must have been some crazy <laughs> little yeah, little gunplay. Yeah, little gunplay in it. A few other things, right? <laughs> yeah, those yeah. no supervision. All right, boys, I'll let you go back to work. Yeah, man, have a great day, brother. All right, see you guys. Have a good day, guys. See you Bye -bye. guys. The Mets, the, the Mets, brother. I'm not sure how we got there. Don't ask me. And it was only supposed to go. <laughs> Golden Dragon calling bullshit on Will. We crossed the meridian coming back on the jersey, and there was no ceremony or initiation. Got a cool certificate, though. If you didn't go through the ceremony, then you're not. I don't care if you were on a ship that went. It's the ceremony that gets you the certificate. So, Ohio man, you're not a shellback. Yeah, you're a wog. If you don't go through the ceremony, I don't give a shit, man. You have no rights there into you have no rights there into pertaining. Okay? None. Okay. You have to go through the ceremony. That's why, you know, that was an official entry into your record book. Yeah, the shellback ceremony. Because you didn't have to go through it again. And our company gunny didn't have it. He didn't and they gave you a card, man. Where's mine's framed here in my office? Yeah, there's my certificate. Yeah. Neptune Rex. 
Yeah. And you had a card and it was a, an official, you know, entry in your record book. And if you didn't have the entry in your record book, you had to go, you had to, you had to go through the motherfucker again. And it's not like you could like, I'm not going. Cause then that's a, that's a Bushido violation, man. You had to go. He got out of it somehow. I don't know how. Yeah. He got out of it somehow. But that'll do it. This show is not supposed to be this long today. But you know what? Sometimes shit like that happens. Sometimes stuff like that happens. Ohio man's not going to be happy about getting called a wog, but it is what it is, man. Might as well just be part of the modern Navy. No ceremony, no shellback. Sorry. Got to go through the... So- <laughs> Got to go through. Here's an email. Mac. I just became a member of the You Owe Me a New Keyboard Club. Calling Aphrodite Neptune's bitch. (laughs) That is classic. Could you explain to everybody how Aphrodite sits on a dais with Neptune? Yeah, I can. Well, I could tell you how it was on the Ranger, the one time I did it. And that was, you kiss the royal baby, the fat dude, right? So he smushes my face into his gut. And then um, I have my summons in my mouth, and I crawl over to where Neptune is. Now, I can't even remember. I think Neptune was the air boss or somebody. He's sitting in this throne. (laughs) Yeah. They wheel this shit out from, like, I don't know where it is, some storage area. He's sitting on this throne in the middle of the ocean on this kind of small platform, right? And next to him is this guy who wins the contest for Miss Aphrodite, okay? And that is Neptune's wife, I think. And he's got on this, like, red dress and black nylons and... And, and heels and a wig and lipstick. And and so there was there used to be a contest. And if you won Miss Aphrodite, you didn't have to go through the ceremony. So it was anybody who was a wog who would rather dress up like a woman than go through a ceremony, you could enter it. <laughs> ah, and my Marines were my Marines were saying trying to get Miss Aphrodite to come down. I didn't claim to be a shellback. You must be flashing back to the royal baby's belly kissing. I bet you used your tongue. No, you know, I winced, right? It was not a pleasant experience. We crossed the meridian coming back on the jersey, and there was no ceremony or initiation. I got a cool certificate, though. What does that mean? Oh, is that like the Dateline or some shit like that? You didn't cross the equator? Is that what the Meridian is? That's not the equator. I don't know. These technical terms screw me up sometimes. Ohio, man. No ceremony. But that was... It it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, they took us up 
everybody from the Marine Detachment, where we crawl out to one of the aircraft elevators and they we take us from the hangar bay to the flight deck. <laughs> then, then they start beating your ass with those. Uh, they start beating your ass with those uh, sections of fire hose that they cut up and then they tape one end of it. It was all in good fun, though. Anyway, my thanks to my uh, friends for coming on today. Um, this program will repeat itself momentarily. Uh, most of all, don't be afraid to go out and change somebody's life. Those two questions, hey, can I talk to you? Hey, you know there's nothing wrong with you. Um, money. Absolute money. So don't be afraid to do that. On a Monday, the day before the flag goes up on Mount Suribachi 76 years ago. Um, I am out. Have a great day. Go change somebody's life.